Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello, everybody. Welcome along. It's another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. A very good guest and a very good podcast, this one. I really thoroughly enjoyed this one, so stay tuned. First of all, thank you, as always, to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, please, at tvsportsblog. I've got a little bit of a spring in my step at the moment. Cricket is back and all is well with the world. It's maybe not quite the cricket that we know and love behind closed doors in empty stadia. But it's returning slowly and that can only be a good thing. And one man that will be very keen to get back into action this year for Nottinghamshire, former Sussex opening batsman, Chris Nash, who is my guest on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. And I have a really good chat with Chris. Never actually met him. This is the first time I'd spoken to Chris. Some really good answers to the Cricket Badger 20 questions as we go through this one. So stay tuned. It is a really good talk. We get into quite a lot of depth at times in terms of batting and mindsets and how to play the game. And it's across two parts, this one, because I couldn't stop asking him questions and it therefore went on for a little bit. So I appreciate his time that he gave me recently for this chat and we might as well get into it, haven't we? My guest on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast is Nottinghamshire opener, Chris Nash. Cricket Badger Fact File Christopher David Nash Nottinghamshire, Sussex, England Lions opening batsman 12,474 first-class runs at 37.23 with 2400s and a highest score of 184. Over 7,000 white ball runs with a one-day high of 124 not out and a T20 best of 112 not out. His offspin has also claimed 174 wickets. He's been entertaining us since his Sussex debut in 2002. Welcome to the podcast Nash Dog, Nashy, Knocker or Spidey. Let's have a badger chat. 
it's a pleasure on the Cricket Badger podcast to welcome Chris Nash, the Nottinghamshire opening batsman. Chris, how are you? Very good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Good to be back in training, although the, the rain come, seems to have come back for the training. So, um, yeah, cut short today, but yeah, nice to be back in, hit some balls and, um, yeah, doing what I enjoy doing. It's just typical, isn't it? We had such a beautiful start to the summer, didn't we, when we were all penned inside and now the cricket's about to start again. It's got a bit more gloomy. It's just one of those sods law things, isn't it? Yeah, I just think that the bowlers have, have wanted this. Obviously, they've you know they've missed out on the on the hot weather and the flat wickets. Now, now there's a bit of rain about the balls nipping about for us. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's like uh, normally they get the the rain in April and they nip it about then. But they're gonna. It looks like they get it in August. How, how much have you missed playing cricket this summer? Yeah, it's it's always hard. I mean, it's it's what you do. Um, I was joking with somebody the other day saying I've never had a kind of summer holiday. It's, it's just what you do as a as a cricketer from. For me, it's from the age of kind of ten. It was just cricket, cricket, cricket all summer. So um, yeah, so I suppose it's um, it's hard and, and a bit strange not to be playing. And then on the flip side, you try and you try and enjoy it for a bit of novelty and, and enjoy the time off. And you know, English summertime, especially the way it's been this year, you've got to kind of ch- try and find the good bits in it and um, make use of it. I mean, you say from the age of ten, you're 37 now. I know you've said in the past that you want to, you want to, you, you want to play till you're 40, or maybe even beyond. Who knows? I had Samit Patel actually, one of your teammates on the podcast recently. He said he wanted to play into his 40s as well. But when you get to 37 years old, you want to kind of maximise every chance you get, I guess, to play cricket. And having to sit out half a season isn't ideal, is it? Yes, yeah, it's harder. I mean, yeah, you can look at it many ways. I look at it and think, well. I've, you know, I think for the younger lads, it's, it's almost the, the guys in their absolute prime. You think they're missing out on, they've missed out on a, on a year where they could have pushed for England honours or, you know, pushed for contracts and things like that. So I, I try and look at it quite um, philosophically. From, for an older player, I think, you know, we, we've had, you know, the, the older guys, we've had a long time in the game. We've played a lot of seasons. So I probably look at it more and say the younger lads, it must be hard if you're a 26-year-old and you're vying to play for England and you missed out on all this cricket when you worked so hard. It's hard, but for, for an older guy, I mean, sometimes you, you take the rest and you take the mental break and then it might um, it might give you a year or so later on in your career. I've had Harry Gurney, I've had Summit on as well as, as, as I've said this uh, last few all, weeks. All the, all the miserable ones then. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, oh, I mean, we've obviously saved the best till last, haven't we, in, in terms of lockdown? Obviously, but, yeah. But the, Fletch, Fletch next week then. <laughs> <laughs> How is the Nottinghamshire camp? I mean, I, I imagine after kind of sitting around watching telly and, and talking to your families also, which is obviously very nice to do, I, I imagine that you're all dead keen to get cracking there. Yeah, you do. You get to that stage where, and you know, even you get to training, you do a bit of training. You just want to go and play. You want to go and play, but you, you want to play in front of crowds. You want to kind of get back to normal, get back to what you're used to doing. And that's, I think, that's the strange bit is that you're you're going into training, but it's not quite as we knew it before. Um, you know, we're not in the changing rooms. We're we're, we're stuck up in the stands, and um, I think that that'll be the hard bit when we do start playing. We won't be playing in front of good crowds, you know, for the time being anyway, and, and you know, not in the changing room and stuff like that. So it will be will be very different. But yeah, just to get out there will be nice, and, and doing normal stuff has felt definitely felt nice for the, for the last week. That's for sure. Well, you're taking on the Cricket Budget podcast. Twenty questions today, and the first one we'll start okay. with question number one. If not a cricketer, what would you have done with your life if cricket hadn't existed? Where would Chris Nash have gone? Oh, Jesus, good question. Um, I imagine I would have. I would have had a few years travelling after university, probably grown some dreadlocks, got some, uh, got a few anklets and a few tattoos or something like that, and and then got to about twenty five and realised I needed a proper job and. Um, I, don't know, I probably would have. I would have gone into sports somehow. I think I would have probably 
it, I imagine a PE teacher, maybe um, uh, some kind of coach in, in some way, but I would have been involved in sport, that's for sure. What is it about cricket that you love? What made you fall in love with cricket and made you want to kind of devote your, we say you're 37, you're only halfway through your working life, really, but what, what made yeah. you want to work in cricket and devote your time to it? Um, I, I wanted to from the age of about 10, really. I just really enjoyed, I really enjoyed being outdoors. I enjoyed, um, you know, being in a team, um, you know, meeting lots of people and always encouraged from a young age to, to play against teams and get to know the guys. And, and then probably from a young age, probably about 16, when I went on my first kind of proper tour to Cape Town and I thought, this is the life because you get to travel. So I think the the travelling, the meeting people has probably been, the you know, what, what I've loved about it. Um Obviously, love performing and that on the pitch and, and winning games and all that. But yeah, the the, the, the amount of friends I've, I've got through cricket all around the world is is you know that's everything to me. And you tend to find in cricket, I know we're, we're biased, but they're good people in cricket, aren't they? Generally speaking, the cricketers and the people around cricket are good guys. It's, it's a tight. I think I think it's very tight knit. I think you get to know guys. You go on, you know, you go on these tours. You play. You'll end up in New Zealand in some place in the middle of nowhere, and you'll bump into. I don't know, I remember bumping into Daryl Mitchell, um, you know, many, many moons ago in, in Queenstown in New Zealand. And you, you build these, um, you know, kind of friendships with people over a, a long period of time where you might go on a, on a you know, golf trip or something and room with them. And, and before you know it, you've got really good mates and you, and you, you stay in touch, you know, especially with the way media is now. You can, you can get hold of someone and, and just say, how are you doing or something like that. And it's, um, it makes, makes the world very small. But um, you meet some great people and meet a lot of lifelong friends. Have you found during lockdown you've been doing more of that? Because I know that I've spoken to more people for longer on the telephone during lockdown than I've probably ever done in my life before. Yeah, definitely. I think you, you obviously um, you make the effort to make sure people are okay. I suppose um, I think you kind of you know obviously make sure you know you're doing the right things. But yeah, I've I've rung. I think you spend more time ringing people, and it's easy to to live in a bit of a digital world where you WhatsApp them or message them and, and keep in touch that way. But yeah, I've I've really enjoyed. I haven't enjoyed Zoom as much, if I'm being honest, or that kind of thing. I've, I've not enjoyed, you know, sitting there with a camera pointing up at my double chin, um, <laughs> at my desk, and um, as much. And and not, and not and not only that, but watching other people's double chins. But I've I've enjoyed. I, I have enjoyed picking up the phone more. Like I made a thing to. I rang my parents every night for the first kind of ten weeks just to make sure they were good, and that was lovely. Um, and just yeah, probably probably spending a lot more time on the phone speaking, which is better. You can get some really unflattering angles, can't you, on Zoom calls? I, I, I saw. Oh my god, yeah. I, I saw you. I had Fabian Cowdery actually on the on the podcast right at the start of lockdown. Him and his brother did the the single, didn't they, for charity? And yeah. you, Knotts Boys, did a version of that, didn't you? And I watched that video, and you we did. You were on that, weren't you? I was, yeah, briefly, thankfully. <laughs> Uh, how did you find that? I, I was trying to compare the um, the various efforts from the different counties that, that took on that challenge. Where, where do you think you ranked? Um, I don't know really. I mean, it was kind of thrust upon me last minute. So I didn't have a lot of time. I think a few of our lads spent more time on it than, than others. But um, yeah, I, I was given it kind of a last minute. And I, was, I think I was actually for somehow was busy that day. So I managed to, you know, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think what I did. I only did about two lines, but I, I smashed it out quite quick and then submitted it. Um, so yeah, it was one of those where I'm not a singer, that's for sure. Um, I've got fairly uh, monotone voice. So it's, it's not my strength, but um yeah, to do something like that for charity, obviously anything you can do to help. There's a few of the younger lads that looked like they're taking it a little bit too seriously, like they were auditioning for Westlife. They'd, they'd spent a bit of time in the mirror before they'd done their bits on it. 
Yeah, I, I have absolutely no doubt that there were plenty of our guys thinking that this was their big break, um, <laughs> that this was, this was going to be the, the, the phone call from the record label offering them a single. I mean, look, you know, we've got a few lads that probably thought that, but I don't think looks-wise or voice-wise they were quite up to it. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think a few of them tried, but they, they failed spectacularly. Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Who has been the biggest influence on your cricket career? Biggest influence, I'd say I've had um, two influences. One, uh, a guy called Dr. Jew, John Jew, who was the kind of head of cricket. Um, he was a legend down at Horsham Cricket Club and he, he, he took me under his wing from a very young age became you know we and him were very close for a long time and he was um, he taught me not so much cricket but he taught me um, why you play cricket so I think I've always held that he always used to you know encourage you to make, make friends and, and treat the game with respect and enjoy playing so that's probably something that I've always looked to do he's probably yeah he, he instilled the great values in me and then as a young professional um, a guy called Les Lennon who's in his eighties now, and I still I still speak to him, you know, probably once a month, very regularly. And he's um, he taught me the basics of batting, really. Um, spent hours with me, even as a young pro. You know, he used to stay behind after training and feed me balls when I was a first year pro. So yeah, kind of uh, Dr. John Dew from Horsham taught me how to play cricket, and then Les Lennon taught me how to bat. <laughs> You're a Sussex lad. You had 15 years at Sussex ECC. How much, yeah. You obviously made a conscious decision there to to change, have a change of scene, and, and move to Notts. I mean, Nottingham is a great club, so I can see the allure yeah. of coming to Trent Bridge. But was that a hard wrench to to leave the South Coast? Absolutely, yeah. It was. It was you know heartbreaking really to to have to leave the situation there. Just that that's just what what, what ended up happening really. Um, you know, I still had a, a year left, and um, yeah, it was just it was just time to to move on. And uh, yeah, it, you know, I think to leave your it was my hometown. I mean, I still live down in Hove. Met so many great people. Got some great friends there. Sponsors, players teammates you know every everyone was 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 so close to me and everyone in the office still speaks to people who run the car park there so um yeah I mean that that for me you know that was a very very difficult decision to make but um made for the right reasons I think and um I think it was it was it's been a great experience to to work with different people in a different environment um which I think will only do me good in the long term. Yeah, and it's been amazing to go up to, you know, Trebridge obviously an amazing ground everything's on a completely different scale so to see how that operates and see how other clubs go I think you know it, it can only be healthy for anyone What were those reasons when you moved from Sussex to Knotts what, what were the reasons in your head why you wanted to make that move um, oh, A few things a few things kind of happened which yeah but I mean in general it was you know what, once I decided that you know time, the time was right to leave um, it was to go I mean one Peter Moores was obviously a massive influence um, he signed me when I was a young player at Sussex gave me the belief that I, I could actually play professional cricket as a batter and um, I think not only that, but to move to a to a Test match club, having not played international cricket, I think the the opportunity to go and play somewhere like like Nottingham to play in front of big crowds, a big stadium, was something I obviously didn't experience as a as an international cricketer. Um, so yeah, it was a great opportunity to work with Morsey again, um, top squad of players, and um, and play in front of some big crowds. So yeah, it was, it was just a great way to test myself, kind of in the in the later years of my career. What's been the best day you've had in cricket? If you could go and relive that day again and experience the highs of that day, which one would you choose? Oof, it's a good one, that. Um, I suppose it would probably be... Um, I mean, I've been so, luckily, I've, you know, the good thing is I've got a few to choose from, but the, the, probably the best day was 
2007 when we won the championship at Sussex and we won the game. So we, we beat Worcester and I think we had to rely on uh, Lancashire were playing Surrey actually at the Oval um, on TV or sorry, it was on some kind of live stream. And um, we won at about 12 o'clock. We, we won the game. And I, I got runs in the last game, which was nice. And it was my first full year. And then we had to sit and wait. So we we kind of, you know, we started kind of selling. It was the end of the season. So everyone's having a drink, celebrating. All the fans were there. And then all of our fans went to watch Brighton, who were playing in the afternoon. And then about five o'clock, the game was over at the Withdean and everyone came back. So Sussex was it was filling up again at home so everyone was on the on the outfield playing football cricket whatever and we were waiting on the game I think Lanks were chasing 320 some of that and they ended up falling short they, they were 20 runs short to win the championship so when that last wicket fell we were kind of finding out through all sorts of radio and different channels and but obviously you can imagine by then we were all pretty pissed because um, <laughs> we had had kind of six seven hours drinking so the whole crowd were pissed and it, it was like you, you instead of sometimes you play and you win and you, you're, you're still playing so you don't get to enjoy it as much because you're on the game but we're all sitting there and to be in the crowds you know, thousands of people there and to win the championship was pretty um, yeah you could actually probably really embrace the embrace the moment because you weren't thinking about the game you were just loving the fact we won the championship so yeah that was that was as special as it gets really to to win the champion that was my first full season in the first team and to win the championship with my home club yeah it was amazing proper party a proper party proper party the problem is we all I think we were all so pissed by about half six I think we um we didn't really make it out that night, but um, <laughs> yeah. And then, we, yeah, but then we then I think the next morning we had an open top bus ride through town, which was hugely supported. And and it, and it was it was a, a fantastic time for the club in that we were a lot of um, lads we played together for a long time. We had some superstars in there, you know, the Goodwins, the Ar- Mushtaq Ahmeds, people like that. But we had a lovely blend of young lads who had come in and done their bit as well, like you know, Luke Wrights, Andrew Hodds, and stuff. So it was um, that was a real golden time to be involved and to be a young player. What's been your worst moment in cricket? 24 hours that you'd want to avoid going back to relive again? Um, I got a pair at Taunton the year after, actually, 2008. I had a bit of a lean run, actually, and I went to Taunton, and it was a good wicket, good wicket back then. So I was kind of thinking this would be a good chance to get some runs. And I got, I think, LBW to Charles Willoughby in the first innings. And then, the funny, so the 24 hours, probably the night before my second innings, I remember fielding it slip, and I think five, five ducks flew really low over us. Yeah, and then that was it. No, four ducks, sorry, flew really low over me, Matt Pryor, Chris Adams' head. And I'd already got a naught in the first innings. Um, and I think Matt had got a naught in the second, in the first innings as well. And he, and he looked over and he went, oh, shit, you know, two ducks to go. Who's going to get them? And then I think Grizz got one in the second innings and I got I bagged my pair. <laughs> so, um, but I, I do remember vividly, actually. I, I, but, you know, I was thinking that probably be, I'd probably get dropped after that game, thinking I'd had a low run. And then, yeah, I think I, I remember ringing my brother and saying, right, I need to look at a career outside cricket because probably not going to be playing again and that could be me done and dusted. So, um, so yeah, I remember we started talking about what I could do in the winters and stuff like that that year. And um thinking that I probably wouldn't play much more. And then I actually did get dropped. The next day, the next game was at Lancashire. And I think Mike Yardy injured his shoulder in the pub the night before and having dinner. So I got the call, drove up that night and got 100 the next day and never looked back. So yeah, it's an interesting kind of swing from being as low as you can be, thinking that you're done and dusted to uh, to actually. And then I ended up getting capped that year and kind of flying from there. Yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Because I, I was, you were talking about the Ducks and I was going to come back in with cricketers are really... Superstitious, superstitious loss, yeah, and then and then, yeah. but then yeah. what, what you say then about the chance that you know you were on your way out of cricket and then you got a lucky break that kind of almost yeah. builds onto that onto that superstition that you know things can change for you and all of a sudden a career can turn on something that you're not expecting. 
Yeah, I, I think if I think if any of us look through that time, I mean, I remember, you know, I mean that was a, that was the moment which you know probably changed my life. You know, Mike Yardy was there. I think Carl Hopkinson went and grabbed him by the shoulder, and it popped his shoulder out, so he couldn't play. And then I get the call, and, and I think I mean, they weren't that keen to play me because of the form I was in. Um, and they, they, you know, they, I think they went with me and, and got a hundred, and, and kind of from there it was just an upward curve for the next probably five or six years. And I, you know, you look at people, I, you know, you think that people you played against who. You know, they they nick a ball and it goes for four. I remember, I remember Joe Denley actually nicking one a couple of years ago. I think he hadn't scored many runs. He nicked, he, he nicked it, got given not out, um, got 180 at Tunbridge Wells. And, you know, that year he probably, I think he was probably the top players in the country. And you see how quickly it can change from one minute you're thinking this player's struggling to the next minute they're, you know, flying, playing for England. So it's, um, yeah, it's amazing, amazing how cricket can be one of those games where, you know, it can go either way, but it happened very quickly. Fed up of collecting your team's matchday subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try slateapp.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate. Slateapp.co.uk. You can do all the work in in the nets. You can do all of the preparation, but you need luck, don't you? In any sport, you need luck. You do. Yeah, yeah. I I think any anyone who who, does, who says you know, I think the way because cricket, you're so dependent on other people. You know, you're dependent on conditions or umpires or it's, it's so much of it is out of your control that I think you can do everything you can. And I've seen plenty of players who did everything they could and, and sometimes it didn't happen for them. And and it might have been that day where they, they nicked it and the bloke caught it one-handed and that might have been the end of their career. Whereas, you know, other times it goes for four or um, you get given not out or something happens. Um, you know, you make a debut against a on a flat pitch or anything like that. So it, it's once you get off and running, it's amazing how quickly that can change. So, um, yeah, I think anyone who says that there's no luck, you know, luck isn't important in cricket, I think probably... If you look back, I think generally there is, <laughs> and that, that's why when you when you get the look going on your on your side as a batsman, you've got to make the most of it, haven't you? You've got to get your nose down and and really dig in and get as many runs as you can in in those good periods. Yeah, I, I think it's so important, and and to also realise that it's going your way as well, because it's easy when when we play badly, we we say, oh, you know, God, it's not going my way or anything. But when we're playing well, we suddenly don't we don't have the same realisation. So. I remember a few years ago, my last year at Sussex in T20, and I was having a cracking blast. And I remember hitting a ball at Ravi Bapara um, at Hove, and it went in the sun. And he, he missed it, and, he, and it would have been out normally, but he missed it, it went for four. And then I hit another one, and it spun past the fielder. And I walked down to Wrighty, and I said, I just can't get out here, because things are just going my way. And, and other times, you, you know, every time you hit the ball in the air, someone put, sticks a hand out and catches it, or every time you miss it, it's, it's given out, and... It's um, yeah. I think if you you've got to realise it both ways. So when you're playing well, understand that you're probably getting your ass um, and a bit of luck along the way. And then when you're playing badly, um, you might not be doing a lot of things different to when you're playing well. It just sometimes it just really doesn't go your way. And um, I think as a player and also for coaches to know that sometimes a player is just not getting anything. <laughs> Um, and it's uh, they're, they're the times you have to keep a bat, and you know, especially batters. I think knowing that they're doing the same things as they were six weeks ago, they're just you know just having no luck whatsoever. Who was your cricket hero when you were a youngster? Who was on Chris Nash's wall? Michael Slater. He was he was the one. So I grew up with him. Obviously, opened the batting. He, he had the Grey Nichols kit. He had the best kit. He used to he used to tee off as well, didn't he? So 
He used to whack it from ball one. I loved it because he, he 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 opened the batting in the way I you know the way I thought I've tried to over the years, not always succeeded, but I always always liked the way he went out and took the attack to the um to the opposition. Um, you know, especially in days where opening batsmen might have been quite stodgy, but he he'd go out and you know, hit balls that a lot of batters would leave. So yeah, I always used to want to bat like him. Um, that is for sure. And there are similarities, aren't they? Did you, (laughs) does that though, when you see somebody that you admire so much as a youngster, you presumably try and build your game to replicate them to some extent, eh? I think, I think, I think it's that, um, that image in your head of of who you want to be as a player. And I I use Gray Nichols, which is probably, I probably, you know, Gray Nichols is always the one I wanted because of Michael Slater. So, um, yeah, I think you do. I think you, you look at that and you can't always model exactly the same, but you do think, well, that I enjoyed the way he played, you know, why not try and play the way you want to play um, and, and then you, you get enjoyment out of it as well and, and I've definitely I've tried to stick with you know always playing a way that I want to play and enjoy it um, as opposed to doing probably any any mistakes I have made in my career were playing how I thought other people thought I should play which would be more you know more patient more negative as a typical opening batsman but then you know I grew up enjoying the way Michael Slater played and I know my best times were always when I played in that mould. If you could trade lives with any current player, you can live in their skin, you can experience what it's like to be them and, and have their life for 24 hours, who would you choose to uh, swap the uh, um, swap your life with? In terms of them as a player? Yeah, but mainly, but gen- yeah. generally speaking. A lot of people, Chris, have chosen Virat Kohli because they also want to know what it's like to be a megastar in India. But you can, um, main, mainly for the cricket skills. Um, I think to be able to play... Um, probably a bit tough one. I mean, to be able to bat like KP would be amazing, but probably AB de Villiers. I think to know, I mean, having worked a lot with Gary Kirsten, who, who spent a lot of time with AB over the years um, in IPL and stuff, to be able to hearing how he almost knows where the ball's going to be bowled before the bowler's even bowled it, just based on a few things, and to have that skill to almost, you know, when he's playing well, it does look like that, doesn't it? You know, you see him and you think, Jesus, he's. He, that ball is exactly where he wanted it to be. So, um, yeah, I think I think to be able to predict where the bowler can bowl it like he does and then have the skill to execute, you know, paddles, sweeps, reverse slogs, whatever, that would be an amazing thing to experience to the day. And and you do, the thing is, the funny thing is, you know, you do get that, you know, there's definitely been times in, in, in T20 cricket or even in four-day cricket sometimes where, you do get to that stage. It's just not very often. <laughs> yeah, if, if to be able to do it like he does, that would be a pretty, pretty way, great way to spend it. And, and the way he, the way he bats is just is, is great to watch, and it'd be amazing to be able to do it. When he's on fire, he's like he's playing one of those computer games, isn't it? Where and when yeah. you when you're a kid and you get your first bat and you stand in front of your bedroom mirror and every shot in your head goes for four. That's what he actually does in real yeah. life, isn't it? Yeah, he does. And, and like, yeah, it's literally like he's saying to the bowler, "Could you bowl it there?" Can you bowl it here? And, and they do it. And he, but he's already waiting for it. And I think, you know, when you hear, I spoke to Gary Kirsten a lot about him and when he talks about, you know, his mindset in those times, it's just, um, yeah, amazing thing. It'd be, it'd be a very cool thing to experience. So I, I think you have time sometimes where you, you're one step ahead of the bowler. And to be able to do that with the regularity on the stage, he's done it would be pretty cool. Is that what they call being in the zone? I mean, I've never been in the zone, so I've got no idea what that feels like. But they, when, you, when you're in a, a T20 or whatever format of cricket it is and you feel in complete control, is that what they call being in the zone? I think so, yeah. And, and it's like when, you know, when the, I think the, the margin for error probably gets so small that if it's short, you pull it or whack it. And if it's full, you drive it. And when you get into those zones, um, it's, I think obviously the better player, the, the, the higher level players, are in there for longer and, and find themselves there, you know, more often. So, but yeah, you definitely look. You know, I think when I, whenever I 
do finish band, I look back at those times when you feel like bowlers can't bowl at you and, you know, you could hit pretty much any ball for four or six is um, rare times, but the best they're the best times to be batting and that, that's when batting becomes really good fun. I've asked um, Mark Wood on here and Wacko Eunice was actually on a couple of weeks ago and just said, what's it like to bowl 94 miles an hour and basically have the batsman at your mercy? I guess in in, in, <laughs> in some ways, the what, what we're talking about there in, in terms of batting is the reverse of that, isn't it? Of being complete control at the crease and, and almost doing what you want to do. Yeah, it's it, it, you know I, I, I wouldn't profess to have doing, done it a huge amount, but when, when you get into those modes where I'm, you, know, I remember you can look back at certain times when you were you knew where to hit each ball before they bowled it, so you knew that if it went short, you could sometimes you could do do things with the ball, which you know it's not very often that happens. But when you get into those modes and the ball pings about, it um, yeah, it's, they're the things you look back on. I think, geez, I wish I could have done. I wish I could do that for longer or do it again. And I think that that's what as a batter you're always striving to do is to get to those stages where you are in complete control um, and the bowler can't bowl at you, which is you know, and that's, you know, four day, one day, T20, any cricket, really. Chris Nash, I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for the day. You're behind the big desk. Your name's on the door. What one thing would you change or introduce to make cricket better? Um, it's a good question. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I could I could tell you in county cricket what I think. Um, if I was head of the county cricket, I'd, <laughs> I'd do a few bits. But um, no, do, 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 Let's go down that route. Tell me what you do with county cricket. Yeah, I think... You would probably well. I mean, the first thing I'd do is I'd I'd, slide, I'd, I'd take six overs off the day <laughs> in county cricket. But these, this is just a miserable old pro talking. Remember that you got you know I've been playing been playing it since 2002. So I've got uh you know I mean it used to be two hour 15 sessions with 104 in the day, so it's down to 96. But I think the yeah I think I'd probably say reduce the quantity and keep the quality high. I think sometimes we we play a lot for the sake of it. So I'd say bear the players in mind probably a little bit more when it comes to making decisions so maybe you know, I think 90 overs in a day is enough for four day cricket play a lot of it so um, yeah that I mean that would be my my miserable old you know old county cricketer self yeah may, maybe take away the bat restrictions as well I quite enjoyed having a you know bat that was too big <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes needed it so having, having the bat restrictions I don't think it's made a massive difference really but um I, yeah, I did enjoy having some of these bats they were ridiculous I, I totally agree with what you're saying about um, quantity um, or quality over quantity. We were talking yeah. about that on the on the podcast just a few weeks ago, actually. And I was saying that I was I'm quite worried about maybe some of the players at the at the top level, international level, because because we've missed a chunk of cricket. The temptation is to yeah. ladle on as much as you can to kind of make up for lost time. And you have to remember that it's human beings playing the game, and that they get out of bed and have good days and bad days like everybody else, and and get exhausted yeah. and mentally fatigued like everybody else as well. I, that, it's it's a, it's a very valid point, and I think. I think we'll see in the next year whether whether that's been taken on board. And you know, I I, I do understand that the, you know you, you do have um, you know obligations in terms of you know finances and things like that. Um, I think player you know it's, then it's up to coaches, managers to to manage workloads. You know, you don't want to suddenly see you know the three test matches coming up, and you don't want to see lots of injuries. You don't want to see people's careers you know adversely affected by it. Um, you know, I think county cricket would be interesting to see how much. How much, how quickly we play when it starts? Yeah, it's, I, I definitely, I think, I think it's a massive thing. I think, yeah, you've seen it in football. They're playing every few days, and they've adapted the games to help people rotate more drinks, breaks, five subs, etc. So, I hope with cricket they do similar to enable players to get through this period and not, you know, either lose their careers or through injury or you know, even the mental side as well. Is to not to not overburden the players with um, with what's gone on 
and the, the future of the game, I suppose. You know, it's not on the players to, to completely make up for, you know, lost money, lost time, etc. I think they, they have to be very, very clever with how they do it so it doesn't, you know, cause further problems down the road. I'm not suggesting ever we should have three months off again in an English summer, but one thing, <laughs> one thing that lockdown has kind of shown me, really, I mean, I am a cricket badger. That's why it's called the Cricket Badger Podcast. I love cricket. Yeah. If, there's, if there's cricket on the telly, I'll watch it. Yeah. It's shown me that I can actually live without it for a few days if, if, I, if, if required. Yeah. So that, you know, if you did put a few gaps in the season and maybe made things a little bit more streamlined and uh, you know, and player conscious, I don't think it would kill me. And that, you know, I think that's what lockdowns maybe proved to me a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think as players as well, it's made it's definitely made people escape from the game as well. And I think you know you've seen a, lot, a high instance of, of guys in, in sport in general. And I think cricket's very susceptible to having real struggles, not just during their careers, but after their careers where. They struggle to adapt to life and, and things like that and also struggle with the highs and lows of, of playing professional sport. And like I said, I think cricket's got very high instance of it. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to think that the powers that be, I think especially, um, I mean, the international guys are away so much in the winters that they're, they're playing high pressure over the guys who play all three formats. It's um, it's very heavy. And also, you know, domestic players as well, they're, they're pushed very hard in England with the volume of cricket we're playing. And I, I know that having this break is, you know, it definitely allowed me to escape the game when normally you, you never get the chance to escape for six, seven months. So hopefully it will reset what people think and, and, and you know, in terms of how they, they, they go about things. But I, on the flip side, it may go the other way and they think they've got to make up for lost time, which is obviously where management and, and that's got to come in. It's that Badger style. That's the end of the first half of my chat with Chris Nash. So turn me off, stop me babbling and find part two which is already out there for you to listen to as well thank you to tvsportsblog.com for the support of the cricket badger podcast and i'll see you in part two sports social podcast network Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.